commercial property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. Look at everyone, how you going? It's Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Inside Commercial Property. We're back by popular demand. Huge milestone issue episode. Season two, we're kicking it off, episode one, and we're live. I'm here with uh, Scott O'Neill. He's director at Rethink Investing, and uh, we're also on the interweb. We're on the YouTube. We're filming now. One of the big changes for this season of Inside Commercial Property is that we're now going to be videoing it so you can see what's and all what we look like. I've got to remind myself now not to pick my nose, Scott. Thank God. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I've got to dress a little bit better. I didn't really work that out today. I'm so <laughs> look, look like a bit of a hoodlum, but um, I'm wearing the Memento Media kit, which is uh, all very good. But um, who would have thought we'd get into season two? I know. It's come out of nowhere, hasn't it? A little uh, COVID creation and- here we are. Well, there's two great creations I've had through COVID. One was that uh, I ended up with a baby as a result of COVID nineteen, uh, the old COVID lockdown, and uh, yeah. and well, I don't know whether I'd put launching the inside commercial property on the same, <laughs> but it's not. been a good one, mate. No, no, baby, hundred percent better. But um, no, it's good, mate. I really enjoy it. How's uh, how's the world treating you? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, looked. Um- Couple of weeks away on the Gold Coast, so mm. finally got over the border. I think we had three trips planned before actually getting there because yep. we kept getting shut down after it. So had a bit of a break, a bit of a little surf trip there. It was um yeah, good time. So yeah. just back working and yeah, doing the podcast with you now. Did you look at any properties while you're up in the Gold Coast? You can't help yourself. Oh, one day I did a, yeah. a big lap around Brisbane, checked it out mm. about five. So yeah, no, there's a. Got to do a little bit while you're there, but going to head up a, a couple of times more, I think, because yeah. now it looks a little bit more free. So while the borders are open, get into it. Get in. So what's the word on the street up in in the Goldie and Brizzy for commercial property? You're sort of, you know, unlike, well, sort of, but unlike residential property, you don't get to drive through a street and see all the sort of uh, open for inspection or for lease or for sale signs with no sold stickers on it. You know, it's harder to get a read on the market, but no doubt you sort of had a drive through the industrial areas or the office-based areas. What's the feel for you, mate? So it's very tight. There's not much for sale. Mm. It's, um, yeah, not many signs up. There, there's some areas of weakness. Like you can see the gold has had a bit of a hit from, I guess, the lack of tourism. Um, there's... But, you know, like we, we went out some of the nights. I've never seen it busier. And I used to work in the nightclubs there um, yep. on Orchard Avenue. Near oh, Campbell. did you? Yeah. Just, Where was that? Oh, a long time ago. Before. I, Are you from the Goldie? Uh, no? no, but I lived there for a, a, a summer. So oh, you, did just, your, you did your stint up there in your yeah, 20s. So I just did a worked at nights till about 4 or 5 a.m. And then you'd, you know, go straight there to the surf if you could yep. or, uh, or, or sleep till, you know, one o'clock in the day. So. Yeah, it was crazy times back there, but it looked the same. It was, I don't know, I was actually surprised how busy, but in the day it was dead. Yeah. It was um, maybe we'd, there was an event the night we were sort of in there, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it's a very funny town. Like there's a lot of the sort of weaker retail strip shops that you can see have gone under. Mm. Um, you know, there's like that Chinese duty-free shop that like there's a big famous vacancy there. There's a, I don't know, the, the rail line's done some good things for certain areas. Yeah. Um, food seems to be going okay. But yeah, the, it's a hit and miss town. Um, Brisbane's just feels like a big city these days. It's, mm. it's, it's all going, you know, strongly there. So just thinking of the Gold Coast, um, we'll have a quick chat about Brizzy and, and you know, it's sort of a bit off topic, but seeing that you've been out there looking at stuff, it's, I'm, I'm actually heading up to Brisbane myself in about two hours' time. So well, I'll make my own assessments. Yeah, <laughs> I'll make my own assessments when I get up there. But for the Goldie, everyone always talks about the impact of 
COVID-19 on residential property prices. Now, this is uh, focusing keyly on uh, inside commercial property. We launched this during COVID-19 to give some sense for what was going on. Back when no one wanted to touch commercial property, everyone thought that the um, bottom was going to fall out of the office space market, hence one of the catalysts for us to get going with this. But Goldie, it's such a tourism town, so your retail and Connected in with that also would be uh, your office-type markets. They must have copped it pretty hard because you've got no tourists, no international tourists going in there. Yeah, look, I guess we didn't really look at any of the office up there, but, yeah, there's plenty of vacancies. Mm. Um, I think, like, last stats I checked, one in six Perth offices were vacant at the moment, so, like, very high numbers. And Goldie wouldn't be that bad, but, yeah, look, it's a market that that has retracted a fair bit. but. Interesting, like, like I was talking to you before, we're looking for a new office for Rethink because we've got a few extra people and we need space and I can't find one. We're like We've been looking for about six months. There's, there's plenty out there, but they're dingy offices or they're, mm. you know, they're pokey kind of south-facing things with, you know, in, a, in an old building. Like there's a lot of that stuff, but a good quality office property, yeah, there's just not much out there. So mm. good qualities are just getting all taken up. They're absorbed and, um yeah, we're finding it firsthand in so-called a weak market, which is office. There's, a, yeah, there's just not a great deal out there. Do you think the challenge with that is, and again, a little bit off topic, but connected for our, our viewers and our listeners on inside commercial property, um, that because a lot of organisations now provide some capacity for work from home or some sort of fluid or hybrid working environment, they don't need such large premises. Therefore, that sort of smaller to medium-sized stuff is a lot harder to get a hold of because a lot more demand for it. Do you reckon that's what you're seeing right now? Yeah, and look, there's a new take-up of people getting back into the office. I think mm. we've hit – it pretty much started at the start of this year. I felt like a lot of businesses deliberately held off going into offices in 2020 mm. and then put their decisions after, you know, something to revisit after the Christmas holidays. And we saw the the vacancies tighten in certain areas. Like I'm not talking CBDs either. Like, well, like we're looking for an office around sort of Bondi Junction type area, like just out of the CBD and it's it's tight. And yeah. um, But the CBDs, same deal. Like if it's a good property, there's, you know, there is action on them. I know the sales side of things, they're going for record prices still per square metre for vacant stock. So that's cheap interest rates more than anything. Yeah. And, yeah, there's people going for the long-term hold not worrying about the short-term risk of leasing. Mm, okay. Interesting. It's always good to get a bit of a, a situational awareness update when you uh, are travelling around Australia doing what you're doing, and I'll be happy to report back my uh, sentiments of views towards uh, Brisbane moving forward. But it's great, everyone, uh, to join us as we uh, kick off Season 2, Episode 1 of Inside Commercial Property, and we're all obviously on the Smart Property Investment YouTube channel. You go and track us down if you want to actually watch this and you can see how we go about doing this. It's, uh, you'll see rivers of paper and preparation for each of these chats, but um, you know, it's good for, for everyone to sort of actually go behind the scenes and see how we go about recording these particular podcasts. Uh, you know, They are pretty fluid. They're freestyle. We know what we're going to talk about, but we don't necessarily know how we're going to get there, so that's why we like to run it. And it's also really organic and authentic and allows us and people to write in and, uh, and have a chat. So we've got some questions today. There's a really good one here in particular, which I've plucked out from uh, Danny M that we'll get into, but there's a whole bunch of other information on smartpropertyinvestment.com.au around inside commercial property. Go, go and check it out. You just click on the podcast tab and you can make sure you can check it all out. 
any questions at all, you can also uh, do that through smartpropertyinvestment.com.au. You can send a question to our team here, editor at smartpropertyinvestment.com. Now, as we set up for season two, Scott, so this is our 13th episode, so the first one, uh, we're going to get some guest stars in into the studio and have a chat to us about their journey investing through commercial property. And, you know, the last chat we had, um, uh, the back end of uh, season one, we sort of really got stuck into the realities of commercial investing in this particular market and how commercial probably is probably not right for everyone. How did that go down with our listeners? Yeah, look, really good. And mm. out off the back of that, a lot of people were asking, well, what types of yield should you be expecting? So we, we should go through, you know, the yields we're seeing out there. Um, mm. Some of the mistakes we're seeing others make because, yeah, there's a lot of them. There's that fear of missing out theme is is hot and heavy at the moment and it's not letting up. There's people out there just because the banks lent them money, they're determined to spend it and then they get attracted to a certain property for the tenant or whatever and they they can overpay by 50%. They don't even know what they're doing. See, that's bonkers. This is the reason why we kicked off this podcast so people don't overpay by 50% yep. for commercial. Now, look, the argument is, is that whatever someone pays for a commercial property is what it's worth, right? Yep. But it's whether there is inherent value in that valuation. And if you're paying 50% over to where you would market, you know, that's one view of it, whereas other people are probably thinking they're getting a great deal. So we'll kick that into today. I've asked you to sort of work up some case studies for us as well about what sort of stuff you can be and should be buying right now. And a little birdie told me, and there's, um, you know, it depends how you want to view this, but um, and whether you subscribe to this or not, Scott, that there are only ever really probably about 100 really good commercial properties for sale in Australia at any given time. Now, I'm going to pick that up and use that as our theme for this particular podcast. You're talking about people paying 50% over what yep. you deem to be the value of a property. Is there more than 100 really good properties out there on the market for commercial at any given time, or do you reckon that's a pretty fair where, – where this come from, I don't know, but I'm hearing it getting banded around, and I'm not going to own it, but yep. I'm happy for you to own it if you want it. Oh, look, it's hard to quantify it, but look, mm. we've got the capacity and, and it's not hard because there's not that many that get listed, yeah. but we can look at every single listing in Australia commercial-wise, you know, even just through the channels. There's obviously a lot of off-market stuff, so you don't know how much stuff is really going on, but I know online there's not that much out there because they're just they're either overpriced, there's a weakness in the lease or there's a reason they're selling, like maybe the tenant's about to leave or it's a vacant property, there's there's plenty of vacant stuff for mm. sale. So a good tenant at investment at the right yield, sure, I'd buy into a, you know that type of number because, yeah, you've got to fight hard for it. So there isn't much out there. It's a much smaller market than residential and that's where I guess you know, our job is very connection-based. Like We know agents and without that we would not get through the day yeah. by any way. Like cause, you know, you, you can't just compete online and expect to regularly buy good properties. It's it's just not enough out there. So yeah, it's there's not much out there. And then why like I guess the reason is why would you sell? Mm. Interest rates are low. Where are you gonna park your money? You know, it's into the residential market. You look sure if you've you know, but the yields are so low, like if some of the markets are more mature in their growth phase, so that maybe there's not as much left. So commercial does represent a really good return on your money. So mm. you're generally picking off a good deal from a developer who's about to cash in to do a big development or maybe there's a guy in their 80s who the kids don't want their property. There's a bit of a – I guess there's not that many circumstances where you can get a good property which has no hairs on it and that's the trouble. That's where we're going to yeah, find Yeah, we spoke a, a, through uh, season one of Inside Commercial Property about those properties with hairs on it and we sort mm. of worked out that – Nearly every property has some hairs on it, but mm. 
some properties have more than others, right? So it's really uncovering what is the cleanest, clearest, most transparent property or asset to purchase, how that fits within your portfolio. Now, yeah, if there's only ever really 100 good commercial properties for sale at any, any given time, right, you know, there'd be one argument to say, well, we're just propagating people making poor investment decisions because we're getting thousands and thousands of people now tuning into this particular podcast going, hey, I'm going to invest in commercial property. So are we actually doing a disservice to the community by talking about this or are we doing a service to the community by helping educate them to probably not buy commercial property or only buy those which are really the diamond? Yeah, definitely both. Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, there's you can tell – there's just so much competition in it. Um, you know, like you said, there's thousands of people that listen to this. Mm. And, um, you know, even if one in a hundred go out and get, you know, a bit complacent and overpay a property, it's, I don't know, it's just a numbers game. It mm. simply will happen, you know. And then um, on the other side, we're, we're helping people invest in a lot of properties. And um, we can go through a, a few examples and stuff yeah. like that because that's what people mentioned they wanted to hear. But, um, yeah, look, you've got to be careful in this space. You can lose money in commercial and that's the whole, we're not here just to spruik it. It's a way of losing money if you don't know what you're doing. And there are protections and we can go through that. But yeah, look, this market has got legs in it. You don't need to rush out and buy in the next month or two. And we're dealing with a lot of clients trying to tell them that weekly because we don't want to force a property. We're not here just to give them a property because they want one. It's got to be the right one at the right mm-hmm. price. And Unfortunately, that might mean there's a waiting list and that's what we're working with, unfortunately. Yeah, which is hard for you because, you know, you do a podcast like this and all the other work that you're doing, you're setting expectations for people that, okay, you might want to buy a commercial property today, you might be finance ready and you're ready to go. That doesn't mean it's still the right time for you to buy, to your point around the speed of market. Uh, yeah. It's grown considerably over this last period of time. Whether there is much steam left in this market or where those markets are, I guess that's up to you to work those type of things out. But how do you get this message of just slow down, slow down and don't rush into this stuff because if you do rush into it or if you're coerced because of whatever reason mm. to buy property quickly, that is when you don't necessarily make the best investment. So the word, the real word on the street for property investors, just take your time. Yeah. Take it easy. It's a long-term Relax. game. You know, invest for the next 20 years, not mm. for the next three months. and. No, I'll, use, I'll use some examples. Yeah, let's so. do this. How many examples you got for us, Scott? We'll go through them. Oh, we'll start with three, and if we okay. need more, we'll go. All right, so more, three but. examples. So, so these these are the sort of stuff that represents good value or what you deem to be yep. good value, good buying, smart buying in this current market. This current market, not six months ago or a year ago. You're talking yep. about deals that have happened recently, and, right? And I'll use a bad example in the same suburb or adjacent suburb. So I've got to be careful. I'm not going to say exact suburbs or- You can just give exact, us a, a region yep. and the type of asset. Because otherwise uh, the bad asset agent will come try sue me probably. So yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. This one we bought a few months ago couple months ago so it was a day surgery it's around sunshine coast area okay so we bought this it's uh circa two mil purchase price like which represents just under an eight percent net yield there was a three-year lease long-term tenant personal director guarantees like good solid investment freestanding asset that was an eight percent net yield now two weeks ago in the same suburb a vet came up for sale we liked it we go all right we put a 6.5 net yield offer on it Someone bought it at less than 4.3, so 4.2. It's a ridiculous decision. They had a, a shortish lease. There's definitely risk on it, but this is the key. People thought, oh, look, it's a vet. That's great. Now, what they've done is killed their growth off for the next five years at least. What's the point of that? 
They've got very low cash flow. If interest rates go up, they're sitting at a, you know, like a, a very Sydney-like level in a regional area. Mm. And uh, it's just that kind of stuff is going on. So when you're overpaying by, you know, 50%, you know, like that yield should have been probably seven in a, in a real world. You know, we got in the same area on an eight. So, so okay, why is that a bad deal? You're talking about it from a yield level. So you haven't even talked about what the price of the property was, but largely yeah, so irrelevant because it's the outcome of the so similar, cash it, it generates, right? High ones for that, yeah. for that one. And so it's a bad deal because, number one, if you were financing it, a valuable – there's no chance he'll value that at a 4% yield. He'll value it at probably a 7 So you're going to have to dip in a lot of cash because mm. the bank's not going to lend up to the purchase price. I'll say, look, it's not a $1.8 million value. It's probably a one4 So you're going to have to throw in an extra 400000 cash just mm. to get the deal over the line. If that's a good thing to do, why didn't you use that extra four hundred grand to leverage up and buy a $3 million property You know, instead of buying a one8 So you can stretch your money further into another asset, get more cash flow, so it's about getting return on your equity. So do they overpay for the property or the mechanics of the lease structure undermines the economics of the purchase? So they overpaid. So the cap rate for the area, you yep. call it 7%. And they've gone in, in an area where you should normally be expecting a yield of about 7, they've got a 4.3. Okay. So, so let's talk about yield. So yield is how much money it generates through rental payments or the lease yep. versus the value of the property yep. in really so, simple equation. Yeah. So yep. if you're collecting 70000 income yep. on a 7% cap rate, that's a million-dollar property. Mm. So someone's gone and said, oh, look, forty-three grand is worth a million dollars. So that's like going into a Sydney property market where the average house for a four-bedroom is $2 million and someone just paid $3 million for no other reason. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Would you do that in residential? No, you'd be mad to. So it's the same thing. Yeah. They just haven't. Put two and two together. They've viewed the strength of a vet type tenant so well that they've, uh, yeah, they've gone nuts for it. So do you reckon there was some preconceived bias there going, oh, it's a vet and it's an area where there's lots of dogs and cats and therefore they're going to stay in business. It's going to be COVID safe because even if there's COVID, uh, animals still need to get their stuff yeah. fixed up. So do you reckon it's just a, a less sophisticated investor has gone about doing this or you've just got a very good salesperson? Uh, look, like it's probably the, like you said, it's the the safety factor of it. Mm. So this happens a lot in all those auctions where, you know, we talked about them last week or last month rather, whereas child cares and stuff with big long leases, fuel stations come into that. Mm. I don't know how they still kind of come into that uh, radar, but long leases, they're attractive to certain people and they'll take a hit on the yield. And maybe it's the frustration thing, like where else do you buy these properties? Like they're readily available through an auction campaign so you can see it, you can actually buy them. Mm. So it's more accessible to people. So, yeah, look, I think it's a lack of education thing. But, yeah, look, 4.3%. I'm always looking at a return on on money. Like there's, if you've got more money to burn and it's just parking money out, then good luck to you. That's a different different story. But. Those types of people generally aren't playing around in the sub two mil range anyway. Yeah. They're just they're in a, a higher level as well. And if you're looking just to do that, why don't you just put your money in a managed fund and park it up that way? I don't know. You know, you're not dealing with a small tenant. Yeah. At the end of the day, so yeah, now a bit of craziness. So you know, that's a, a very recent example of two very similar properties, mm. and one is literally half the price of the other. So there's winners and losers, I guess, in every property transaction. What you would like there to be is that there should be win-win-win. So mm. the vendor wins, the agent wins, and the the new purchaser 
is a winner. Yeah. But sometimes that's not always the case, right? So so these two deals, um, tale of two cities, tale of two deals, why is the deal that you guys manufactured and settled on better than the other deal? Is that because you didn't pay over for the actual property? Yeah. And that that's the key thing because the lease, you can sort of fix it over time. But if you pay over on the way in, you're never going to fix a, a crappy property, right, through leveraging up the lease. Yeah. So, like, you've got to know the cap rate of the area. If you don't mm. know that, you shouldn't be buying the property. So, what's a cap rate? Let's talk about that. Capitalization rate. Okay. So, it's a valuation method for commercial. So, you got to understand, like, if you're buying an industrial property in Sydney, you've mm. got to go, well, what are the all the average yields for a similar three-year lease? You know, they've got different sort of price guides too. If you're buying over $5 million versus $1 million one, there's going to be slightly different yields. So it's the same with residential. You've got to have a comparable sales analysis. Yeah. You have to do it with a commercial, but cap rate's the easiest and quickest way of valuing a property, I find. So it's like for us, I guess we're always in the market, so we kind of know exactly what it should be because we're the ones buying so regularly in these mm. markets. So it's, it's a bit easier because there's no good source for manual data on this either. The way to value is kind of speak with agents, get um, look on RP data or what's the other one, the price finder, mm. and, and find out what others have sold for and then what they rent. It's core for. logic RP data. Get annoyed being called RP data these core, days. Core logic. Core logic. Core logic. There you go. <laughs> So, yeah, it's just manually picking all those numbers yeah. out of the systems and go, all right, well, a $2 million warehouse should be selling at a 6% cap rate. So that means you should be getting one hundred and twenty grand for a $2 million property. Mm. If you're getting ninety and you're paying $2 million, in that same market, you're ripping yourself off. So if you don't understand the cap rate, just hold off on the offer, I think, because there's just no point throwing that type of money away because, yeah, no, in that quick example, you might be overpaying by four hundred grand. Yeah. And- How do you actually know what the end product was that that people bought this for? Where do you get that intel from? Look, the agents tell us okay. as well. So, um, and look, again, like we've got a little bit of an unfair advantage with agents. Like, I, it's funny, one of our competitors is they know we sort of don't like going under six. So they've mm. gone around all over Brisbane and southeast Queensland going, oh, I'm going to pay 5.5 net yields. And okay. all the agents are taking little screenshots of it saying, ha-ha, look at this person, you know, because it, it's- would, um, would I know who they are? No, we're not going to mention. But no, 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 would I know? No. No, no, no well, maybe. Not. No, okay. All no, right, but no. there's there's <laughs> a little bit of that um, competitiveness out there with the marketplace. So um, so 5.5 is still okay. Yeah, but the, and this is where it can get a bit murky. Even mm. if you offer 5.5, if it's below the cap rate and you've got a, like, a buyer lined up and you've paid that, a value will come in and say, no, look, I'm looking at this market as a 6.25 cap rate. Yeah. So now I'm going to short value because it's all subject so they still to lend you the money based on what they deem the valuation to be and therefore you just got to pay the gap. Yeah, and yeah. most buyers don't want to. Mm. So they'll crash the deal. So you, it's, it's good for the agent to get a market purchase price. You know, every now and then you get a cash buyer who's willing to- Go over a bit. Yeah. yeah, and that's good luck to them if that's what they're doing. But agents would prefer an on-market qualified buyer who's paying the right money from the start because mm-hmm. then there's less chance there'll be something wrong go in the back end of the transaction. So Yeah, that probably doesn't help the agent to, you know, if you go too far over the base equilibrium where the market is, you set an expectation that you'll never, ever receive it or get it again, right? You know, it's, yeah. it, it becomes a, a negative self-fulfilling prophecy for the agent if they get sort of these anomaly deals because that's what people want then. Yeah. Makes, makes life hard. Yeah, exactly. So it's look, everyone wants an on-market offer. You know, if it's slightly over, that's fine. Like the mm. value hopefully won't punish you too much yeah. um, for a good lease or something like that. 
Yeah, but like it's about sort of paying the right amount when you sort of miss the mark a lot, which there's been more and more of these cases because yeah. it's just low stock. Everyone's kind of excited. Yeah, that's when you see these crazy numbers get thrown out. All right. Now, let's do another example. What do you got for us, Scott? So this one is in Brisbane, so off-market transaction. So it's a classic warehouse. Put this one on Facebook so you'll be able to see it on Rethink Investing's Facebook page. It's just a classic warehouse, roller door, five-by-five-year lease to a national business. It's about, I don't know, 10Ks out, 14Ks out, sorry, and uh, 6.25 net yield. So the this is a market which is compressing quickly. So we're seeing frustrated buyers go into the, the 5% in mm. this market. So 6, 6.5, even 7 still exists in Brisbane. So if you get excited, don't just go rush and buy something at 5, 5.5 because if you wait an extra month or two, you might get stuff into the 6. And you might go, what's that half a percent difference in price really matter? And it matters a lot. It could be two, 300 grand. And um you know, for most people, that could take half a lifetime to mm. save. So you can lose it in a blip if you just misread the market with commercial. So again, work out what the cap rate is. The cap rate for Brisbane is around that 6%, 6.25. For super prime assets, it's lower. That's your, you know, 10 to $50 million type stock. That mm. can be lower, but there's normally a large freehold land component for that. So there's potentially development upsides for those five percenters. So, yeah, it's about making sure your yield's high. And look, that that's a good market for growth, I think, because Sydney is still into the threes and fours. So, relatively, there's value there. But if you go out and buy it at five, you've lost your value straight up. You may as well have just stuck in Sydney or Melbourne and playing the long-term game there. Mm. And, yeah, Brizzy markets, um, what are you liking up there at the moment in terms of the commercial stock? Is this warehouse warehouse stuff pretty popular for you? Yeah, yeah, the leasing like logistic stuff. Yeah, yeah, leasing market's hot. So there's a lot of tenants, new businesses, growing businesses, like a lot of businesses where they've got a warehouse and they need an overflow shed because mm. their capacity's just grown. And they're like, oh, "What do we do? You know, this is we've got to lease another shed out." So like vacancy rates are dropped. We're down to sort of two, three percent, okay, which is good for industrial because long like normally you'd probably be double that. And we're seeing leasing rates go up. Incentives. So an incentive is, let's say you get a five-year lease, you might offer them three or five months free rent just as a as a thank you for coming in and mm. here's some help doing your fit out, whatever it is. Incentives are dropping as well because there's okay. more competition. It's just supply-demand. There's not much supply of a well-located warehouse, you know, flood-free, good-quality one, you know, that's available in the market. Mm. And Interestingly, with this one we bought off market in, in Brisbane, it came up registered as a flood zone. And this is a little bit of a tip with due diligence. Not all flood zone properties are flood. So the bank said, no, we're not going to lend on it. So we said, well, the flood map's wrong. You should. Uh, it's never flooded. We pushed back on the bank. And we worked out how to do it properly. We actually got a surveyor out and did uh, RL height measures on the site proved the zoning on the map was incorrect. The bank accepted it and it removed, like it's still zoned that, but it's it's not a flood property at all. Mm. And the bank was happy with so that. It might flood around it, but it won't flood it. Yeah, because a lot yeah. of the Brisbane maps are actually artificially, one, they've put a one metre factor of safety on it as okay. well. So, you know, a metre more than it ever flooded in 2011 mm. is, uh, you know, can actually wipe out a lot of areas, which 
probably will never flood again. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So you keep talking about sort of gross return, Scott, and let's just quickly touch that. For, you know, some people go, yeah, they know what that is, but for our, our uh, new to commercial property investors, well, what does that mean? So gross return is there's two types of leases, net leases and gross leases. So mm. a gross lease is when they, like let's say they pay 200 grand a year, but then you have to pay all the outgoings. You might have 40,000 of outgoings out of it. Mm. That can include rental management, maintenance, rates, land tax, all of that. A net return might only pay 160,000 income, but then they pay all those outgoings. So the overall position is the same. You, yeah. you always work off your net figure, but a gross lease, you've just got to pay the bills yourself and back to those costs in your yeah. equation. Okay, so a gross lease means that you may generate more income from the property. However, you incur more of the costs, yep. uh, whereas a net lease is that you incur, you receive less income, but you incur less of the costs. Yep. So at the end of the day, it's the net return is what you want, and that's how much money is in your back pocket after all expenses happen, yep. including mortgage repayments. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's sort of the, overall it's the same thing if you mm. calculate it back to net. Yeah. Um, sometimes gross can be better because if you've got a 4% increase per annum, it's better to have 4% on a higher gross figure. Mm. You know, 4% on 200 grand is better than 4% on 160,000, you know, so your rent might rise. But uh, I guess the negative side of a gross lease is the cost can be, be more variable. So yeah. maintenance might be up or below 5K difference each year. So so if you talk about a 6% net return, yep. so that's 6% on the annual Rent or the yep. or no, the value so, of the property. So six percent. So if you've got a two million dollar property, yep. it's one hundred and twenty grand net income in your back pocket. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Clear. And uh, out of that, you've also got your mortgage potentially. Yeah. But then you've got a depreciation benefit. So mm. one of the great things about commercial is you get to claim the full depreciation on plant and equipment. So it's it's not just the building. You mm. you can claim you know air cons. You can claim the previous landlord's renovations, if there are any, all that stuff. And, and there's a so lot of- So you can depreciate someone else's fit out? Yep. Okay. So you've essentially acquired that fit out as part of the purchase and therefore you get the upside benefit of depreciation, which is very different to residential property, which changed in the 2015, 2016 yeah. budget, where they said you can't depreciate existing plant equipment anymore. Yeah. And which- one of the other good things about commercials, a lot of the value is in the- There's more floor space in the value. So like- how do I explain that? Let's say you've got a shop front that's mm. 200 square metres. Like you've got 200 square metres of actual building and walls and high-end high fit-out. So there's a lot of depreciation in that 200. Imagine you've got a 200 square metre house with on an 800 square metre block. You're not mm. depreciating on the land. There's more value in the land for residential. So you, your depreciation benefits a lot less. So it's actually quite a tax-effective strategy, commercial, mm. if you get it right, especially if you buy newer products too. No, you, you'd not pay much tax on it. Yeah, that's good. I don't know too many investors that love paying tax. They try and they're happy to pay their fair fair share of tax to keep this great nation moving ahead. But um, they just want to pay their fair share. <laughs> uh, okay, let's do. Um, we got time, Scott, for one more example. What do you got for us, mate? Um, so this is sort of on the higher end. So we love neighbourhood shopping centres, as we've mentioned a few times. They've come out of COVID surprisingly good. So these are, you know, where you've got your small supermarkets and um, basically- Fish and chip a, shop, bottle shop. A variety of good shops. You medical centre. Just bread and butter stuff. Yeah. And and there, it normally comes with lots of car parks, 
couple of medical properties, you know, you so we we got this one in Perth. Uh, you know, it was nine point two five mil, seven hundred and fifty nine thousand net income. It had a a good little supermarket and a whole variety of shops. Uh, there was there was basically fifteen odd shops in it. So we're, we're looking. It's a big price point, nine mil. Yeah. So it, like it was about an eight point two net yield. So in these areas, there was. Oh, the cap rate was about 7%. Okay. So, you know, you can still go high price point, yes. Yeah. Surprisingly, there's a fair few of these big dogs running around. Who's, who's buying this sort of stuff? Is it all, is it like? Oh, just, everyone like develop, it's business owners, developers. Okay. Um, so developers are like grabbing it and holding it for some time and eventually they might. Yep. Do something, put or, a big thing on it, and put a shopping centre on it. We're finding a lot of the developer margins are so weak at the moment. Mm. They've given up on development for now, so they're just parking it to get a return on money. Okay, and maybe there's a long-term development upside play. So, yeah, like because I, I speak to many developers mm. um, who have been just going crazy in Sydney for the last couple of decades. They just can't get a return on money. Like you're buying at zero percent margins, yeah. hoping for growth. Like that's a crazy strategy. So they're probably buying for the next generation. So yeah. you're getting ready for the when when someone else takes over the development business, they can got some nice blocks that they can build on. Exactly, and they collect a seven eight percent return via cash flow every year as well. It's not know? bad for every million bucks they plug into it, they get a nice return off it. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, they these returns are still out there. They're um they're harder to find, but like again, the main message is just because you see a a vet or you know something with a big sparkly five to 10-year lease on it, you know, don't go throw the kitchen sink at it and cop yeah. a 4% yield. You don't need to. There's, you know, patience. They're out there. And uh, So this this thing here, so 15-odd, 15, 15 individual tenancies inside at yep. 9-odd million bucks. What else you got? Um, so otherwise, so a lot of the stuff we do quite high volumes of are warehouses like in Strata Complex. So yep. this is more your sub-million dollar range. We, we kind of average about... 6.25 to 6.5 net yields, um, maybe a 6% flat if it's a good strong lease. Um, mm. But this is good for your most everyday people. So million bucks, you can get in that with, you can do a, an 80% loan in some cases. So, you know, 200 grand down, you are uh, allow for stamp duty and whatnot, so mm. another 50K. So you're investing 250K to get, uh, say, a $65,000 return. You know, that, and if you uh, get your calculator out, here we go. Here we go. Because it's if you've invested two hundred and fifty grand and you're getting sixty five thousand, that's a return of twenty six percent. So it's not bad. You can't complain. So that's um, and sorry. After that, you have got a mortgage, and, and so you've got you'll lose about fifteen k yeah. uh, on your mortgage on that. So you know it's double digit cash flow returns, and that's two hundred fifty grand invested. Uh, you might do a 70% mortgage, that'll slow the return a little bit. Mm. But yeah, the, the numbers are out there. Yeah, that'll be capital city stuff. So yeah, okay. they're out there. Good. Well, good examples. Now, Scott, um, we'll kick off uh, with, you know, it's a new season of uh, Inside Commercial Property, episode one. A question, and we dug out a, a really good question we received um, a little earlier on from Danielle M, we'll call her. Thanks uh, thanks for, for writing in, uh, Danielle M. You know who you are. Thanks for tuning into the podcast great uh, that you're getting some value out of it uh daniel writes hi scott congratulations on the book this is this new book you've got what what is it called again 
Uh, rethink property investing. Okay. Is it flying off the shelves? Is it? Yeah, we are. Um, you're in the second run, are you? Second edition? <laughs> <laughs> Update is second edition? I've been yeah. surprised. We've, we clicked over 10,000 copies sold. So it's, Have you done 10,000 copies? It's 30, yeah. I never would have thought, to be honest. <laughs> that puts in bestseller category, doesn't it? 10, yeah, so copies? It's, I think, like we said last time, there's, like we've, we've got a pretty good reach in the market and like mm. I think it's timed right. You know, yeah. like I'm not, definitely not taking credit. The market is very property hungry. Yeah. And that's what you need, you know, so right place, right time. And um, it's a different book. It's about commercial. There's 500 out there about residential. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, oh, if you want to grab a copy, uh, yeah, just go to Amazon or Booktopia is easiest or bookshops. So. so you can actually get it and hold it and read it and, like in your hands. It's just not a digital thing. No, that's good. no, proper book. All right. Available in all good book outlets. Go and check it out. Um, you're going to give us some, some to give away on, on this podcast? Yeah. 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 Okay. I've got a... Half a garage full of them. So oh, really? Got to, got to get rid of them. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if Daniel, Daniel M has uh, bought the book yet, but uh, there's a copy coming your way. If you can just uh, email, what's the best email address? Uh, info at rethinkinvesting.com.au. Okay. And then if, uh, enough talking out of school here, but for those questions that we read uh, out on the uh, Inside Commercial Property podcast, I'm sure Scott will be happy to send you a book straight to you. And he'll even pay for the postage and handling. Good Have idea. Have a pay mate. for that. Good on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but look, Seriously, if you, if you want a copy, uh, get in touch with Scott. So, hi, Scott. Congratulations on the book. I can't wait to read it. Well, there we go. It's coming your way, Daniel M. Don't buy it. It's one coming your way. I'll probably know the answer to my question below, but I have uh, when I have. But in the meantime, can you please tell me how the value of the property works? Because the lease is longer than previous, i.e. three years, but at a slightly lower rent. Does this mean the overall value of the property is likely to be lower? Or is the growth on the property related to the growth of the suburb like residential? Now, two different bits here. So this is um, most people frame commercial property, Scott, like residential property as in you buy an asset in a good uh, a residential location and then you just sit and wait for it to go up in value. The same holds true in commercial property. You do get organic capital growth through property with the upside uh growth or development of a particular suburb or how that might change over time or all the other stuff connected with it. But the beautiful thing about commercial property is that you actually have different mechanics and different drivers for supporting growth in the valuation of your property very quickly if you buy well. And this is what Danielle's getting to right here. So if you do stuff with the lease, you can create value in a property pretty quickly. Yes. Correct? Yes. Okay. How does that work? All right. So you think about the what an investor would look for in an investment. So what does everyone want? Long lease, good tenant, great area. So you can't really change the area. That's stuck. So the only things that'll change the area are long-term gentrification things or maybe infrastructure spends to speed up travel time or access, things like that. So mm. you can't really change that yourself. Um, leases, you can. So we, we often at Rethink Investing help clients get into properties that have less desirable leases, like maybe 12 months or 18 months. Like we don't want that really. We want five years. So that's okay if you're getting a discount on it. Because you'll cop the, I guess, the extra risk of a shorter property lease and then um, position it to an investor at a five-year lease once you renegotiate it. You might take two years to get that lease, but Mm. it will be a better property, better product to someone with a longer lease. And that someone might just be a valuer because you don't really want to sell it. You're not buying this stuff to flip it. Like it's, it's just in Australia with too many taxes and you know, it's too costly to get into property to, to flip, I think. It's better. You make more money long-term hold. But 
if you position it to a valuer with a longer lease, then they're going to say, look, it's, it's a stronger asset. So that will increase the value. Obviously, increasing the rent increases the return. That's a way. So you might, might buy a property that's renting for 110 a square metre, but the market value might be 150. Mm. So there's uplift there. So this is all neat lease manipulations. And it's it's perfectly legal. It's perfectly, um, you know, you just got to work with a tenant. And that's the tricky bit. So you might need to show spreadsheets of what everyone else is renting for in that area. And mm. um, maybe it might be a slow process to get them to the market rent. So that's the way of kind of increasing value. Adding floor space, you might do internal mezzanine constructions because that obviously means you can charge per square meter. That increases the rent. You might have to do a little feasibility study to say, is it worth spending 100 grand on an internal mezzanine or office? But you might get uh, 220 grand a year return on that. So that might be a 20% return on the build cash flow wise. So that, that could work. The cap rate, which we mentioned earlier, is definitely part of it. So cap rates are an area like right now we're seeing people pay more and more slowly for properties and that means yeah the value is going up that's like kind of your yield compression growth mm. which we're seeing a lot of at the moment that'll keep happening until interest rates start rising so yield compression's the free kick a lot of of getting but um yeah and the other way is actually improving the type of tenant so mention that vet example if that was a kebab shop they wouldn't have bought it at 4.3 they viewed it as a strong medical or essential service type tenant. So you're saying kebab shops aren't as value as medical service. <laughs> I'd say kebab shops are more valuable. Probably to some, yes. Next door to any given pub, <laughs> any given Friday and Saturday night, mate, you want to be in the kebab business. Yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. <laughs> Digress. So there is ways to manufacture uh, valuation uplifts or equity uplifts in commercial property, probably more than in resi. Like you can, so it's similar principle in that you can buy a resi property and you can do something different to it, right? You can knock the thing down and build something else on it, okay? That's going to cost you to do it, but you probably get a high valuation. You can do an extension. You can add a bedroom. You can do all this sort of stuff. You can do a cosmetic renovation and you might be able to get an uplift of a, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 bucks in the eye of the valuer or, or if you sell the property or you might get a few more bucks in the rent every single week. So same thing applies, but you've just got more available to you in commercial property. Yeah, and like the common words like repositioning a property. Mm. That's what a, a lot of the big firms like managed firms do that. They might buy an office that's a bit down and dirty and needs a from a, a C rebate. grade and they turn into a B plus or something yeah, like that. Spend money yeah. on it, you know, fix the walls, you know, just refit it, maybe split it up into multiple tenancies, all but that you, stuff. You see that happening right now, even at the top end of town, the um the AMP building. There's two AMP buildings. You've got the old one out the front, which yeah. is heritage list. They can't touch the facade. And then there was the one behind it where they completely just stripped the outside of it, stripped it internally, kept the slab, cut it up. And now it's a fancy angled looking thing, um, yeah, yeah. which is completely repositioned that property. Yeah, I think that'll be a big common trend for our CBDs over the next decade. Cause- Thank you, because they've got to get rid of a lot of that 60, 70 stuff, which is a massive yep. vice. Oh. And you might even see them convert to resi. So, yeah. But then again, it's supply and demand. Like, is it worth more as a residential, you know, eco-friendly office tower? Like, mm. But maybe offices aren't popular because no one wants to live in the city. Like, so it's, it's Horses just- for courses. Exactly. Horses. Well, it's good, Scott. Uh, that's episode one of season two, Inside Commercial Property. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we're pumped for this coming season. There'll be 12 uh, episodes, uh, one every month, Uh running up into 2022. Uh, I think we're quite fortunate. Timing is everything in property and timing is everything in podcast land, um, you know, to be able to create something uh, when, uh, I guess it's counter-cyclical, counter right? We launched this at a time when 
everyone was thinking property was going to drop or the resi property was going to drop by 30% and commercial property that the bottom was falling out of, at least in the uh, office space or or that retail space. So um, we launched the podcast at the right time, I think, when sentiment yeah. was down towards commercial property and fast forward 12 months on, it's a very different proposition today, Scott. Yeah, and I, and I think it's good. Like I haven't listened back, but I know back then we were talking about many asset classes were not going to fall through the roof and mm. a lot of people thought we were silly at the time, but- you know the long-term fundamentals that like are there, and uh, and that even in the office market, everyone thought it was going to drop. But at the end of the day, people are wanting to park their money into assets, and it's about location, and you know, it's the whole residential commentary as well. Yeah, where's this forty percent crash? We've all been told we're going to see for the last 30, 40 years. Like it's too many levers, and Australia's too property hungry, and you know it, it's yeah, like it's about sort of the long-term investment, which I think. I think we've covered well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess one of the, the benefits but also the negatives of podcasts is that we, we can't hide from our commentary, right? What we say at any given time, we deem that to be relevant at that particular time. Now, you fast forward a year to where we are today, we can look back at, you know, the, the first couple of episodes we did on Inside Commercial Property and um, did we get the commentary right? I reckon it was pretty considered. You know, we weren't scaremongering or fearmongering at all and we're not doing that today. If anything, we're, we're probably – erring on the side of probably potentially two conservatives telling people don't invest in commercial property because there's not a lot of good stuff out there. Or if you want to invest in commercial property, take your time, be considered, do it the right way. And that's the message that we want. But, you know, we probably should um, go get some sound bites and some snippets from a couple of those early episodes, Scott, we just to see just to see what we're saying. <laughs> maybe maybe we're looking at it through rose-tinted glasses, rose-coloured glass. I can't remember what it is, but thinking that we were – Smart old, but maybe yeah. we've got to complete it. <laughs> anyway, but this thing's grown into you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people listening to it every single month. So we must be doing something right. I'd like to think. Well, you are at least. It's your job to be the the brains trust of this outfit. I'm just the guy that tries to steer the chat. But um, good to be back, mate. No, thanks for having me. Season mate. two. There we are. Uh, remember, um, any questions at all, you can send them through to Scott at info at rethinkinvesting.com.au. Remember, go and uh, check out the book. He's selling like hotcakes. I, I got one of the first copies, I think, uh, signed yeah. and everything. So it's on, it's on my bookshelf. Yep. Uh, and uh, we've done a couple of – we did a chapter out of it, I think, at some point in time. So maybe uh, we can pick up another bit out of it and we'll break it down and uh, and go into it. We want to do some more stuff uh, with some property investors as yeah. well. So if you're and tuning was, into this, you want to have a yarn, you can get in touch with it as well. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, a lot of our clients are very private as mm. well, and rightly so. So if there's any of them listening uh, that want to come on the podcast, just, just email – Email us, um, you know, how to reach us. And, yeah, we're happy to sort of talk through your experience and portfolio. Yeah. Because, yeah, it is a very private world commercial and a lot of the people I've asked. And yeah. I get it because I remember I'd, before I got into this business, I had many properties before I even told my parents. You like, didn't want it, anyone knowing what's going on. No, and, no. and commercials even more secretive. So I, if, uh, if someone's happy to share. Can't come on in and I'm happy yep. to sort of demystify or democratise property investors. We talk about money, right? You know, mm. you, you're brought up as a kid not to not talk. ask people about money, right? And I think that is pretty stupid, personally. Mm. I think talking about money is healthy because that's how you learn. And I guess I'm in the business of talking about money, so I'm happy to ask anything, whatever. But we're now on, on YouTube as well, so you can see so those people watching it. If you want to come and have a chat with us, we can happy to put a, a voice thing on you and make a fuzzy, <laughs> put a fuzzy so you can't see you and we can use fake, yeah. fake names, <laughs> real life things. But if you don't want to use your name, that's okay. But look, you know, come and have a yarn with us. But Scott, uh, really enjoyed it, mate. That's yeah. really cool. Uh, so that's Inside Commercial Property, start of season two. That's episode one. Uh, check out 
last season, uh, wherever you listen to this, whatever your podcast player is, and please, one favour that we get a real kick out of, can you please keep those reviews coming, whichever podcast player you're listening uh, to this or on the YouTube, um, any feedback, any anything you want to say, look, happy, we're, we're big boys, you've got constructive criticism, leave me alone, just give Scott a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be back again next time. Until then, bye-bye.